0: Paradigm is nothing but a multitude of habits. They're programmed into your subconscious mind that control your behavior It's got nothing to do with how smart you are It's got nothing to do with what your formal education is It's got nothing to do from which side of the tracks you come from Mm -hmm. It has to do with your paradigm. The paradigm is a program in your subconscious mind It's both genetic and environmental that's controlling your behavior Everyone that can hear my voice knows how to do better than they're doing and they may wonder why don't they do it? It's because you're programmed to do what you're doing. Yeah, and until you change the program nothing's going to change Mm -hmm. Paradigm has to be changed. It's already happened intellectually the second you think about it It's already happened emotionally when you're emotionally involved with it So it's only a period of time until it manifests in physical form, but because it's not in physical form We act like we haven't got it yet. That's why most people stay stuck because they're acting like they haven't got it yet. So, you see yourself, your imagination, you've got to be that person. Goethe said that, a great philosopher, he said, before you can do something, your verse must be something. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be it intellectually, you've got to be it emotionally. As like Solomon says, as a person thinks in their heart, the emotional mind. Well, it's only a period of time then until it manifests physically. That's one of the first laws of the universe, is the perpetual transmutation of energy. Energy is moving into form, always. So. We cause it all to happen the way we think and the way we stay locked into ideas. I think you build an image of what you want, but everything you create, you create twice. Once in here, once out here. So we have to see ourselves with what we want here. Now we've got enormous deterrent in our paradigm. We're conditioned genetically and environmentally. And that conditioning is controlling most people's lives. That's why brilliant people are broke. Brilliant people are unhappy. Brilliant people never really accomplish very much. They're absolutely brilliant, but their paradigm is controlling them. And then there's environmental conditioning. We know almost all welfare recipients are fourth, fifth generation welfare recipients. So this is passed down generation to generation. Now, unfortunately, we're all, or fortunately, we're all exactly the same we got exactly the same potential. Our spiritual DNA is perfect. But that perfection never expresses itself properly because of this paradigm. It's conditioning in our subconscious mind. You see so many brilliant people and they don't make it. We have perception, the will, reason, imagination, memory, and intuition. They're they're the faculties that make us separate from everything else. all the other little creatures on the planet are completely at home in their environment. We're the only creature that's totally disoriented in our environment. And that's because we've been given the faculties to create our own environment. But we've never been taught how to use When John Kennedy asked Dr. Werner Von Braun what it would take to build a rocket that would carry a person to the moon, bring them back safely to Earth, Von Braun said, he answered him in five words, he said the will to do it. Many people would hear that and they don't really understand what he said. The ability to hold that picture on the screen of your mind and nothing else. Because the will is what gives you the ability to concentrate. Energy flows to and through you through concentration, you increase the amplitude of vibration when the energy leaves you. Um, that's how absentee healing's done through the will. Mm-hmm. You know, a practitioner will hold the idea and they'll have the subject relax, be very quiet, they transfer that thought right into the person's subjective mind. Because your intuition is a mental faculty that picks up vibration and translates it in your mind. It's through intuition that you get answers to your question. Like you asked a question, the opposite side of question is an answer. It's the equal and opposite side. So our answer comes with our question, but we're not tuned in to to pick it up. Like every question is an answer. Well, the imagination, of course, it's, it's everything. So you get these higher faculties and you get using them, and I start to learn how to use these. And I started to see that we've got so much going for us that we never hear about. School doesn't teach us. Our parents don't teach us. You go to work for a company, they don't teach you. So the odds of learning it are really slim. You know? And it's the reason there's so few people that really are successful in life. There's all kinds of material around on success. My goodness, there's, there's more around today than there's ever been. Concentration increases amplitude of vibration. There's a power flowing to and through us all the time. It never stops. You can photograph the energy leaving the body. Well, concentration increases, it makes it more powerful. So whatever you concentrate on, you're giving more energy to. Emerson said the only thing that can grow is the thing you give energy to. So as you start to learn how to utilize these higher faculties, you start to learn how to improve the quality of your life and you start to see why you're God's highest form of creation. Intuition is a feeling that you pick up. Intuition reads feeling. Feeling is conscious awareness of vibration. So you're reading vibration. Vibration is the natural law of the universe. Your body vibrates. Come to a rather strange fact. We tend to minimize the things we can do, the goals we can accomplish, and for some equally strange reason, we think other people can accomplish things that we cannot. If I want to be free, i got to be And I was watching him and thinking, my God, this guy's so good. If only I could do that. I could never do that. All of a sudden, that record of Earl started to play in my head. Now right here, we come to a rather strange fact. We tend to minimize the things we can do the goals we can accomplish. And I thought, damn, that's what Earl means. The paradigm can only be changed one of two ways. One is an emotional impact and repetition, constant based repetition. See, so you, you take this affirmation of thing I want to change um, and you've got to keep repeating it to yourself. You've got to keep seeing it through the repetition of it. Pretty soon it becomes fixed in your mind. Then the thing you're afraid of becomes a habit. You just automatically do it. Yeah. Like there's things you do automatically today that you don't even give a thought to. Yeah. But at one time you're afraid to do it. Sure. So that's, I think that's how you keep changing. Thought is a very powerful Thought is the preamble to everything. You think on frequencies. Now this has to do with goals. When you set a goal, you have to flip your brain onto the frequency that the good that you desire or that you need for that goal is there. So you, 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 most people don't make the decision because they don't know how to get it. You don't have to know how to get it. That's why Von Braun said when Kennedy asked him how to get to the moon, the will to do it. You're going to make the decision. You don't make the decision when you've got enough money or when you've got all the resources, you make the decision.
1: A lot of times I think people have this misconception that, you know, if you practice something in the morning, people say to me, you know, Donna if I practice meditation for 10 minutes every morning, is that going to affect my life? Yes, but what are you doing the remaining 23 hours and 50 minutes? If you're doing things that counteract what you're doing in the morning, then it doesn't help. If you exercise for 10 minutes in the morning and the rest of the day eating you know, fish and chips and drinking beer and pizza, laying on the couch, it's not gonna help. So the people I work with have kind of changed over the years and I would say in the last two, three years, the people I worked with, what they really wanna know is I think they've come to the realization that they know very little about the mind. They're experts in their areas they know very little about the mind and they really want to understand the mind better so that they can leverage their mind to be even better at what they do. All of them want to leverage themselves better and they, they feel like they have a lack of understanding of how their mind works. So, two things here, Ryan. One is wanting to, a quick fix to learning. You know, I spoke yesterday in Munich to a group of entrepreneurs and one guy asked me, So, this, is there a quick fix to having more energy in life? I'm like, There's no quick fix in life. That's the first thing you have to understand. And I think technology trains us to think they're quick fixes. So I can go on my phone, I live in New York City. Last week I went on Amazon, ordered something at 10.30 at night and the next morning at eight o'clock in the morning, FedEx buzzed my door and it was there. It's crazy, right? So I can get things instantaneously through technology and then because we're so trained to getting things as soon as we want them, That we apply that to our life. And we think that, yeah, we can change overnight. And then people out there selling hacks. There's this hack, there's that hack. How are we going to hack this? How are we going to hack business? How are we going to hack the mind? How are we going to hack the body? But it doesn't work that way. You have a child, and your child is growing slowly and learning slowly. There's no way to hack your child. Can you make your three-year-old boy, right? You have three-year-old boy learn. Walk faster, talk faster. Walk faster, faster, learn (laughs) triple integrals by tomorrow. Why don't you hack him? It doesn't work, right? And then why as adults do we think we can hack everything? It's not sustainable. And then the other thing about being a teacher is that, you know, that's another thing that's being sold out there besides hacking. It's like, you know, let me certify you to be a yoga teacher, let me certify you to be a life coach. I know you're 19 years old, and you've never had any experiences in life, nor have you done, achieved anything that pushed you beyond the limits of your imagination, but let me certify you as a life coach after a three-day weekend program. And I think when you go with the idea that I'm gonna learn something, and then take that content and teach it, you never really learn. When I went to the monastery and to, to learn from my guru, I went purely to be a student. First of all, I went there with the knowledge that I knew nothing, I wanted to learn from him, and then once I learned from him, my goal was to strive to implement everything as best as possible. I have zero intent to teach, right? And, that, and I feel when you take that approach, you learn the best, and some of the people that I work with purely have that approach they have zero intention to teach they just really want to learn and so when you go there with that intention then you learn really well like we were chatting earlier you know if someone wants to learn martial arts they want to learn the quick swirl 360 kung fu kick in the air or something you know no one wants to go and do the hard work and that's all about the quick fix you know how can i get from a to b as quickly as possible and it's not only about training the body, it's about training the mind too, right? The mind needs to adjust and the mind is like a muscle, it needs to reshape itself to be able to take on a new way of thinking and a new way of behaving and you know, progressively hold that new shape. And that only comes through repetition and patience and slow, hard work of doing the same thing over and over again. And I think so many teachers out there are selling quick fixes. And because they have never been trained themselves properly. So they just they've got a quick fix learning to get from A to B, so then they go and teach a quick way to get from A to B. You know, they don't understand this old traditional path of slowly learning and developing yourself over a period of time is is what really creates mastery in a certain level. You get used to being comfortable and that 's the problem right you know you stay in an apartment for long enough, you stay in a city for long enough you 're comfortable, you know where to go buy your milk, your bread, you know your surroundings, you get comfortable, you get used to it and You know, one of the biggest teachings he taught me is about awareness in the mind. You're not the mind, rather you're pure awareness traveling through different areas of the mind. And your goal is to take your awareness from your conscious mind, move it through the conscious mind, through the subconscious, into the superconscious areas of the mind, which is the most refined areas of your mind to experience deeper in the states and ultimately self-realization, God-realization. But awareness travels in the mind, but when you get stuck physically in a certain place and you get used to your surroundings and your comforts Your external environment is is a reflection of how your awareness is working in your mind That means your awareness is stuck in a particular area of the mind because there's really no separation between your inner state And your outer state and what he was teaching me is that by moving me around Making sure I never got comfortable long enough one place to to stay attached he was teaching me that to not allow my awareness to get stuck in a particular area of mine, in a particular area of the mind and stay in a rut, and that I could actually prime or break my awareness free from a particular area of the mind, really grab hold of it and take it deep within myself and experience deeper states of mind, right? I mean, if you go on most people's timelines, a lot of people's timeline, it's amazing. You can scroll through and it's just a thousand, there's a thousand posts and it's 999 nine pictures of themselves, selfies. And and I think social media has made people extremely selfish. And all people think about is themselves. You know, here's what I'm doing. Look at me here, look at me there. You know, and you look at also public figures and celebrities and influencers. They constantly post pictures of themselves and their amazing life traveling all around the world. And, you know, I see, and I know some of these people and they never post pictures of their students. or you know, who's following them. It's always about them. Nobody spends time with themselves. And when I say say this to people, they go like, "Oh, I have alone time every evening when I walk my dog for half an hour. That's my alone time." I go like, "No, that's walking a dog." When I'm at the gym working out, that's my alone time. I go like, "No, that's being at the gym." Alone time is you sitting down in a chair at home or on the floor, cross-legged, you know, no music, no journal, no podcast. Your eyes closed. And Spending time in contemplation and a reflection not meditation But in actual reflection and really having a conversation with yourself the same way We're having a conversation getting to know each other and and each other's opinions and thoughts You have a conversation with yourself and people don't do that right? They don't spend any time doing that and if you don't spend any time doing that How would you know what's important in your life? Where are you struggling and what you need to focus on next and what you need to work on. You're so busy, from the, moment you, from the moment the alarm rings, they reach over to the side table, grab their phone, turn off the alarm, look at all their notifications, and then start stroking that phone. This is how people get pleasure in the morning, stroking the phone.
2: And then every 10 years someone has a quote unquote midlife crisis when they realize that They're living a life that they've never contemplated, they've never planned, they're not connected with, right? And then that's kind of life, and then you're on your deathbed looking back saying, what did I do? Why did I value these things? Mm -hmm. And they're wondering why, and it's because they never spent the time in solitude with themselves.
1: Do the work now so you can spend the rest of your life living living a life that's in alignment with your purpose. Once you figure out what you want now and what your purpose in life is, then you can spend the rest of your life living a life in alignment with that purpose. And, you know, in talking about deathbed, you know, when my girl was dying, one of the last things he said on his deathbed was, what an amazing life, I would not have traded it for anything in the world. What an amazing life, I would not have traded it for anything in the world. Now, what words to hear from a dying man? You know, to be able to look back on your life and say, that was freaking spectacular. So when you're so determined, it's when you're so clear what you want in life, and you're so determined to give to get it, and you're willing to give up everything and everyone for it, then you're living a life in alignment with your purpose, and then you can spend the rest of your life in sync with who you are, as opposed to chasing so many different things around you that. That sparkle, whether it's you know, I want to be like that person, and I want to do this, and that sounds fascinating. Maybe I'll try that for a few years. You know, you meet kids nowadays that are 18, 19, 20 years old, and you ask them, "What do you want to do? Oh, what are you studying in university?" Oh, I think I'll do science and for a year, and you know, and then I might major in this. But I was also thinking I might take a year off, you know, travel a little bit, and then come back. And I'm not sure. Maybe I'll do arts. I'm kind of interested in this topic you you not know what you want to do? It's, yo, we have one life. You don't get a second shot at this. Get clear what you want. See,
3: as a generation of people, our survival is better organized than ever before. We have ability to communicate like never before. We have comforts and conveniences that nobody had ever imagined, this generation. But also, certain things happening. One thing is, There are more people on the planet today thinking for themselves than ever before. Otherwise, a religious book was thinking for them, a priest or a pandit or a mullah was thinking for them, or there was one wise man who was thinking for them. Now, for the first time, a huge massive number of people are thinking for themselves. Well, you can debate always whether they're thinking right or wrong, all that thing, but at least they're thinking. When I say thinking, what happens to thought process is, See, if two people get into an argument, both the people think the other person is illogical. That means in their mind, there is a certain logical pattern. However illogical somebody may seem to you, in his mind he has his own logical pattern. Once this pattern sets up that there needs to be some logic for you to come to a conclusion about anything, then many fanciful things that you believe Like uh, your journey to heaven and what is up there and all these things, they start collapsing. If you look at this generation, let's say two generations ago, how many people in UK thought they will go to heaven? And today how many people think they're going to heaven and they're preparing for it? Has come down dramatically, eighty percent heavens have collapsed in people's minds. Still they don't dare to say that because there is still fear but in their minds the aspiration of going to heaven is largely collapsed. So when he- heavens collapse, what will human beings do? They will try to find it here, which is a very good thing. But if, they, if you don't show them any way to find a heaven within themselves, that is when at least eighty to eighty-five percent of the population today is on alcohol or some kind of drug happening simply because they are trying to build their own little heaven. Because the other heaven that was was promised for a long time has collapsed in their minds. We have come to a place where to grow our food, we need chemicals. To be healthful, we need chemicals. Today, seventy percent of the population is on prescription medication of some sort. To be peaceful, we need chemicals. To be joyful, we need chemicals. To be ecstatic, of course, you have ecstasy. So we are going towards chemicals in a huge way. The water that you drink is full of chemicals, the air that you breathe is like that, and the food that you eat is like that. So if ninety percent of humanity goes into chemical consumption, consciously or unconsciously, they consume a lot of it, the next generation that we produce will be of a lesser quality than who we are. That's a crime against humanity. Now, generally always the next generation is better than the previous generation but today we are coming to a place where we could be producing a next generation which is less than us. Once that happens, we have done something very negative against the fundamental life process. So right now, chemical is a net, it's not another trapeze. It's a net that you can fall into and people experience their own little heaven. Well, it ruins you in so many ways. See, anything, uh, this is not a moral issue for me. What I am saying is, The important thing about life, whether it's a grasshopper out there or you, both of us are striving to be the fullest possible life that we can be. A grasshopper is trying to be a full-fledged grasshopper, a human being is trying to be a full-fledged human being. So suppose you cut off one of grasshopper's legs which is supposed to hop, the hopping leg if you take it off, have you enhanced its life, I'm asking you? No. So similarly for a human being, if you take away any of his faculties, in any way, even temporarily, have you enhanced his life? No. So intoxication is just that, it is taking away your faculties for a period of time, but if you continuously do it, it will take it away for your life. So you are taking away or subjugating your faculties for a little bit of pleasure, or maybe a lot of pleasure, whatever, however you wish to describe it. But the important thing is you're taking a backward step with life because life can only be enhanced by sharpening and increasing our faculties, not by decreasing our faculties. Our ability to be active physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, if this is in any way crippled, this means we are taking a backward step. The greatest chemical factory, the most sophisticated chemical factory is right here. The question is only, are you a, a great CEO or a lousy CEO? If you are a great manager, you will produce what you want from this. If you are a lousy manager, you do wrong things, you get anxiety, you get something else, you get rubbish going on within you because you are misusing your chemical factory or you don't know how to manage your chemical factory. Every human being wants his life enhanced. If you don't show them proper ways to enhance, they will find shortcuts. See, a man who goes to the bar and a man who goes to a church or a temple or whatever, they're seeking the same thing, they're trying to enhance their life, isn't it? If you do not show them a proper way, they will take whatever ways are available on the street, that's all. That's why I'm saying it's not a moral issue for me, it is just that it sets you backward. You want to go forward but it sets you backward. See, all human experience comes from within, isn't it? I don't know what kind of geniuses thought these things, I know in America there must be a million books telling you how to, uh, you know, milk happiness from something else or somebody else <laughs> but all human experience is generated from within. What comes from within you must be the way you want it, isn't it? Isn't that simple enough, I'm asking? What comes from around you
4: may not be the way you want it.
3: But, but what, what comes from, from within you must be the, be the way, way you want it. If, if whatever, whatever happens, happens within you the you way you want it, will you be you blissed, blissed out or, or miserable? You should be happy. Blissed out. <laughs> <laughs> you… if, if you… you, see, you most see, most people, people understand complexity, complexity as intelligence. intelligence. If you they make, make themselves, themselves difficult, difficult, they, they are supposed, supposed to be intelligent. intelligent. Making a simple thing difficult is not intelligence, making a very complex thing simple is intelligence, isn't it? So wrong sense of intelligence, idea of intelligence has entered people's minds. They think if they make a problem out of every solution, they're intelligent. No, no, if you find solutions for every problem, that is intelligence. That's my understanding. See, to learn ABC, to learn to read and write a, write a simple language, language like English. Like English. I'm, I'm saying simple, simple language, language just, just twenty-six alphabets. Tamil languages, language has two-hundred-and-twelve alphabets, very, very complex. complex. To, learn to learn a simple language, language you take 12, twelve years of schooling to read, write, understand. understand. This is all you're doing in the school. You may be reading a science book, but you don't know any damn science by reading a high school textbook, all right <laughs> So, for this you're taking twelve years. To transform your life, you want to do it in two minutes. So is that what your life is worth? See, if your life is worthwhile, is it not important that you invest a certain amount of time and energy rather than looking for this stupid stuff of one mantra with which I will transform my life? It will not happen like that. That's the reason why most people have remained the way they have remained, because they've not invested in their well-being.
2: The cost of your good habits is in the present, and the cost of your bad habits is in the future. Your outcomes in life are often a lagging measure of your habits. Your bank account is a lagging measure of your financial habits. Your weight is a lagging measure of your eating habits. Your knowledge is a lagging measure of your learning and reading habits. We think the thing that needs to change is the bank account or the test score or the number on the scale, but actually the thing that needs to change are the habits that precede those outcomes. That your habits reinforce a particular identity. Every action you take is kind of like a vote for the type of person you want to become. And if you can master the right actions, if you can master the right habits, then you can start to cast votes for this new identity, this desired person that you want to be. I think that's one of the reasons why small habits matter so much. They don't necessarily transform your life overnight. Doing one push-up does not transform your body, but it does cast a vote for being the type of person who doesn't miss workouts. The real goal is not to run a marathon, the goal is to become a runner. The goal is not to write a book, the goal is to become a writer. Because once you've adopted that identity, You're really not even pursuing behavior change anymore. You're just kind of acting in alignment with the type of person you already see yourself to be. If we're gonna be building habits anyway, then it makes more sense to be able to understand how they work and how to structure them so that uh, you can be the architect of your habits rather than the victim of them. A goal is focused on the outcome. Uh, A system is focused on the process. If you are a writer, your goal might be to rest, write a best-selling book, but your system is the writing process that you follow each day and like getting your butt in the chair. It's your research. What if you ignored the goal, right, if you f- say forget about the goal and focused only on the system, would you still get results? We live in a very outcome-focused society. Uh, things are only news stories or shared on social media once they are a result. So. Uh, the results of success are very visible and easy to view. Like, what is the difference between eating a burger and fries for lunch or eating a salad? Not a whole lot on any given day. Your body looks basically the same in the mirror. The scale hasn't really changed. It's really easy to dismiss it in your mind and say, oh, this is kind of insignificant. But, you know, you turn around two or five or 10 years later and you realize, oh wow, those daily choices really did add up. It's just much harder to see on a granular basis. Achieving a goal only changes your life for the moment. It's actually not the thing that you're looking for. We think the results are the thing that needs to change, but it's actually the process behind the results. You don't need to lose weight, you need better eating habits, and then your weight will always be around where you want it to be. You don't need more money, you just need better financial habits, and then you'll always have enough money to manage the thing that comes up. Because if it's all about the goal, as soon as the goal is achieved, you don't have that motivating. But if instead it's about being a runner, then even when, even once you finish the race, you still have a reason to show up again the next week. In, in pretty much any domain, true long-term thinking is really goalless thinking. It's much more about being that person, developing that identity, following that system, uh, and then you just happen to realize your potential along the way habits are a lot like that. They're, they're not exactly like compound interest, you know, where you kind of like hit that hockey stick portion of the curve, but they really feel like that a lot. It feels insignificant on any day, but then you turn around 10 years later and it's actually you're surprised by where you end up. And that's a hallmark of any compounding process, that the greatest returns are delayed. Habits are like that too, you know, they, they don't feel like much on any given day, but they really add up over the months and years. You go to college now, and then you graduate in four years. You save for retirement today, and then you retire decades from now. You show up at work this week, and then you get a paycheck in a month. And so it's actually like, there are all kinds of things we do in modern society that require you to delay gratification. So there's an immediate outcome, an immediate reward, and then an ultimate reward. And for your bad habits, one reason bad habits stick so readily that they, they form so easily is because bad habits, often the immediate reward is favorable. Meanwhile, good habits are often the exact opposite. The immediate reward of going to the gym or going to the gym for like a week isn't really that great. Your body's probably sore. Uh, you don't have much to show for it. Your body looks the same. Your weight hasn't really changed. But it's, if you stick to that for six months or a year or two years, then the ultimate reward is favorable. Uh, or a lot of the challenge of building good habits and breaking bad ones is figuring out how to pull the long-term costs of your bad habits into the present moment, so you feel a little bit of that pain right now and have a reason to avoid it, and pull the long-term rewards of your good habits into the present moment so it feels good and you have a reason to kind of make it through that like valley of death in the beginning and stick with it while you're waiting for those delayed rewards to accumulate. The ultimate form of intrinsic gratification is a reaffirmation of your desired identity. If, uh, you, if your desired identity is I'm the type of person who doesn't miss workouts or I'm an athlete, every time you're doing a squat literally you can be in the middle of the rep and you're already getting gratified because you're acting in alignment with the type of person you want to be. It takes a little while to get to that point where that actually feels like you when you walk into the gym for the first time, you feel very uncertain. It's not your territory. You don't feel like it's your terrain. But once you show up again for a week or a month or a year, at some point you cross this invisible threshold where it starts to feel like, yeah, this is for me. Once you've crossed that stage, it becomes more likely that you can get that kind of reaffirmation of your identity and start to instantly feel gratified. We should let the behavior lead the way. So let the behavior drive the belief rather than the belief drive the behavior. If you're trying to get yourself to latch on to a new identity or tell yourself a new story, it's more powerful to let the behavior lead the way because the behavior provides immediate evidence that you are that kind of person. I think there's something powerful about good habits become easy habits when you can learn to find joy in delaying gratification.
5: connected generation in the history of mankind has its upsides but it also comes with real invisible problems and we've grown up aspiring to be our idols and that's dangerous. I mean aspiring to achieve great things is fine but aspiring to be our idols is dangerous. It's dangerous to want to be someone you're not. It's also not possible but it's dangerous. And social media has glamorized the lives of a few and we get to see their nice cars and their holidays and their wonderful lifestyle, and we want that. But we don't see the years and years of hustle, the pain, the sacrifice, the natural talent they had, the innate passion for their craft, the incredible details Steve Jobs saw the world in, or the unbelievable hardship that Richard Branson went through to get there. We don't see that. We just see the destination and we want that. But most of us, don't have and aren't willing to give what it takes to fulfill that journey because it's not our journey it's theirs you're not passionate about typography or art or design but you want to be steve jobs you're not steve jobs you're you we are the generation that has confused admiration with aspiration and we'll never find our own happiness until we accept that we can't have anyone else's life but our own And if we realize this and focus on our own, then our life will be more than enough. You know, young men want to be Mark Zuckerberg because they admire him. But the crazy irony is we admire him because his life was unlike others. He didn't try to be like others. So if you want to be Mark Zuckerberg, it's time to stop trying to be Mark Zuckerberg. Because you'll never achieve your personal greatness. Our idols did not follow in the footsteps of their heroes. There was no Bill Gates for Bill Gates to emulate. He had to carve out his own path to find his own greatness. Each of our idols have uniqueness as their power. They have the conviction to disagree, the confidence to persevere, and the braveness to go against the status quo instead of embracing it. You know, we celebrate their individuality and their lack of conformity and the audacity of their strong strong beliefs that black was equal to white or their vision for a pocket computer or a a more connected world or a driverless car or a personal spaceship that could go to Mars. These ideas could only come from people who did not follow in the footsteps of others. So my advice to my generation is don't aspire to be your hero. Stop trying to mimic what you see them doing. Strive to be yourself. Visionaries are not to be Imitated, They are to be admired. Trying to be someone else is a surefire way of becoming nobody at all. The only great person you can become is the greatest version of yourself because all the other great people are already taken. And the funny thing is, once you become the greatest version of yourself, people will see your life and they'll make the mistake of trying to be you too. There's a recent phenomenon that's not being talked enough about in our culture and specifically in our world which is what failure is doing in our space. And, you know, we're sweeping under the rug a couple of the suicides in our space. We're sweeping under the rug the heavy depression and alcohol use. We're sweeping things under the rug. We want to show all the hoopla. I hate what's going on on Instagram right now. Everybody living their fake life, putting up pictures of like baby giraffes and like hot chicks and $50,000 cash on a bed and a boat and painting a lifestyle that is not realistic. I want to have this conversation because there is a level of talent here, and what we need to all be doing is figuring out what we're best at and going all in on that.
4: Defining your goals, defining what the life you're trying to build is and having a real model for what you're doing. And for me, i try to be very clear about what I'm trying to accomplish to myself. If you're doing this thing because it means something to you and you know exactly what success looks like for you, it's nice because then you're not as distracted by the fact that so-and-so is posting photos of them surrounded by $100 bills on Instagram or on a yacht in a visa or whatever. You want to make sure that you're not comparing yourself to other people, you want to compare yourself against the progress you've made because like look, some people are freaks. You know what I mean? Like some people are just way better than you and they're always going to be better than you and they're not going to have to work as hard as you. So it's like if you're comparing yourself to them or just mimicking them. That's not the right yeah. approach.
2: Everyone has their demons. It doesn't matter if they're like the richest person or the most successful, or the most good-looking. There's some battle I feel like we're always facing. It's hard to just be like, I've got it all figured out in all areas of my
4: life. The people who you feel like have it most figured out are probably struggling the deepest. Thou knowest the man, thou knowest not his wrestling. Cause you don't know what each person is wrestling with inside. You don't know if that beautiful celebrity is wrestling with an eating disorder. You don't know if that guy who seems like he has a happy family is miserable and cheats on his wife. You don't know if that person who sold millions of albums feels like a failure because their parents never told them they love them. You know, you don't know what people are struggling with. And it's like, You can't compare yourself to that because you don't know, you don't know what it costs then. The world is indifferent to you and I, right? Like, the world is not, the world is not only indifferent to like our personal goals, like, the world doesn't even care about the human race, right? Like, we could all be wiped out by like a volcano tomorrow, right? So, it's, it's that we are a very small piece of like a complex universe and the result is that things don't go the way we want them to go. So I think those are the external obstacles. Then we put on top of that struggles with addiction or struggles with self-worth or struggles with other people. You know, we, we add to that things that make an, are an extraordinarily difficult thing like even more difficult. Yeah. And we don't even know it.